Good morning. Thank you, Deborah. Great job. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. In your bulletin, there is a outline if you care to follow along, but I'm going to have to make an admission here at the very beginning because if you look at it, it's, I'm going to be talking about the essentials of ministry. The first essential, second essential, third essential, fourth essential, fourth essential, yes, there are two fours. I added another point and I forgot, sorry. So that last one is the fifth, just in case you want to keep up. When we uh, read the story about Jesus feeding the 4,000, if we have been reading through Matthew, then we automatically think of the miracle that he already performed in chapter 14 where he fed the 5,000. Now, some would have us to believe that this is, in fact, two different versions of the same event. Saying, well, you know, they just didn't get their story straight. In fact, some use the similarities as an excuse for unbelief and assign both the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 to the category of legend. But this is, in fact, an entirely different incident. There are numerous differences between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 5,000 was at Bethsaida, which is in Israel. It was with a Jewish multitude that were from nearby. It was in the spring of the year because it says they sat on the grass. They were with Jesus for one day, and he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And after they had been fed, 12 small baskets are collected of the surplus. The feeding of the 4,000 was in Gentile territory. It was a Gentile multitude from all over that region. It was the summer of the year because they are now sitting on the ground. The grass is gone. There with Jesus for three days, he feeds the 4,000 with seven loaves and a few fish, and afterwards they collect seven large baskets of surplus. But the single greatest reason to believe that this is a separate incident is recorded in the book of Mark, in Mark chapter 18 and verse 19, where Jesus himself refers to the earlier feeding of the 5,000. I think the Word of God is distinctly marking these as two separate events. And in this second miracle, Jesus is feeding the Gentiles. He is demonstrating that he is the bread of life for everyone, for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And through this example, Jesus taught his disciples how to minister to those in need wherever they might be. So what we have here is a record of a different miracle, similar to the first, but repeated in order to teach several important lessons. And so I want you to notice with me, as Jesus teaches the disciples the essentials of ministry, the first essential of ministry is availability. In verse 30, Then the great multitude came to him, 
having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others, and laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. And so the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and the lame made whole, the maimed made whole, and the lame walking, blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. In order to minister to anybody, the first thing that you have to do is make yourself available. In these verses, it tells us that Jesus went where the people were. Verse 29 says that Jesus sat down, and he allowed the people to approach him and bring their needs to him. Jesus was approachable. He taught that no one was an outcast. No one was too vile, too dirty, too deformed, too maimed, or too sinful for him to help. The text says that he healed them. Not just some of them, but all of them. I don't know if you realize what that means. The word maimed here in our text has a unique meaning. It means severed or removed. If they didn't have an arm, he gave them one. No wonder it says that the multitude marveled. And the result was they glorified the God of Israel. The second essential of ministry is compassion. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Now, the crowd has been around Jesus for three days in this remote setting. Mark's account says that they travel from all over the region. And for three days they have listened to Jesus teach and saw him heal. The cries for help are mingled with the shouts of joy as they receive their healing. Now what if you were a deaf man who received the gift of healing? of hearing, or a blind person who received the gift of sight, would you turn immediately and leave that place and act like nothing had happened? Well, of course not. Now it is into the third day, and Jesus loves these people, and he's concerned about sending these people back to their homes with nothing to eat. I think this is in reality a a revelation of the kind of God that we serve. He's a God of great compassion. He suffers when we suffer. He feels our pain, and even more importantly, he seeks to alleviate the causes of our pain. He doesn't just have compassion for our spiritual needs or even those life-threatening physical needs. He has compassion even about our daily needs. In fact, his care extends to every need that we could conceivably have. Jesus is genuinely concerned for the needs of these people. They've been with him for all this time without food, and he was not willing to send them away hungry. Jesus says, I have compassion on the multitude." And now he desires that his disciples also share that compassion. Basically, the word compassion comes, us, 
comes to us from the Latin. It means to suffer with. But in English, it is enriched even beyond that meaning. For the English dictionary describes compassion this way. A, fa- a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the pain and remove its cause. I think that's a marvelous definition of what we see here in the heart of our Lord. He's looking on anyone with need, and he identifies with that need. He feels sympathy for that need and sorrow for that need, and he has a strong desire to remove the cause. The tender compassion of God extends even to our daily needs. The third essential of ministry is a willingness to use the resources that are available. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. You know, in the past, when I read these verses, I, I somehow assumed that the disciples had failed to remember what Jesus did with the 5,000. I think I've changed my mind about that. How could they have failed to remember what had happened so recently? How could they not see the relationship between that situation and this situation since it was such recent history for them? But it's pretty amazing when we look at our own lives that we so often forget what Jesus has done for us in the past, never thinking of turning to him for help in the present when we're faced with a new need. We're not much different than the Jewish people. He may have divided the Red Sea for the Israelites escaping from Pharaoh's army, but no sooner are they on the other side than they begin to complain against Moses and they cry out in Exodus 17, 7 saying, Is the Lord among us or not? He's already told his disciples that he has compassion on the crowd and that he would not send them home without first feeding them. Perhaps we see a glimmer of change in the heart of the disciples as if we look pretty closely here. In the earlier feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 14 and verse 15, they pretty much ask, why should we take the responsibility of feeding these people? Why should we take on this responsibility? Send them away. But now in verse 33, the disciples say, where can we find the food? Or how can we feed them? There seems to be a world of difference to me between why should we feed them and how shall we feed them. But at this point, all the disciples can think to do is point out their obvious lack of resources. We tend to be impressed with the overwhelming need around us and the inadequate resources. All you have to do is be around some Christians for a little while and they'll provide you with all the details. They can tell you down to the finest point how overwhelming the need is. And they can also tell you how inadequate the resources are to meet that need. The problem is that's as far as they go. 
Anytime you want to know how big the problem is or how deep the hole is, they can help you out. But it's interesting to see how Jesus copes with this situation. Jesus sent his disciples out to find out how much food was available. Jesus simply asked, how many loaves do you have? Between the lines, you can read the assumption that whatever they have will be all that Jesus asks for, all that he needs. Can you see the difference in the focus of Jesus and that of his disciples? The disciples are focused on how great the need is and how inadequate the resources are. Jesus' approach is to direct their attention to what they do have. And they said, we have seven lobes. And in verse 34, they add further and a few little fish. I think we're right on the edge of being used by God when we come to the place that we admit we don't have all the resources. The disciples say, Lord, we don't have anything sufficient to feed this crowd. And they're simply saying, I think, Lord, we don't have the resources. I think it's really in their heart is they're saying, Lord, you're really the only one that can do this. Now, the miracle that happens happens in the same way that it did with the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples' resources are given to Jesus, who takes those resources, multiplies them, and then gives them back to the disciples. And then through the disciples, he feeds the multitude. In fact, that is always the procedure. The resources we have must be turned over to Jesus Christ. He takes those resources and gives them back and through us to the people to whom he wants to minister. Christ did not go around the disciples in meeting the needs, but he used the disciples with their inadequate resources as the vehicle to minister to the multitude. Our problem is in spending too much time evaluating how great the problem is and how limited the resources are when we should be giving our resources to Christ so that he can do something about it. We are much like the disciples in that we forget God's past provisions when we're faced with a new challenge to our faith. The Christ who fed the 5,000 can surely feed the 4,000. The Christ who can save us can surely care for us. You know, has God ever let us down? In the long history of this church, he's never let us down. He has always been faithful. Oh, we can come up with arguments. Well, the economy has never been as bad as it is right now. Well, if you talk to somebody who lived through the Great Depression, they would argue that point with you. But even if it were true, God's economy is not tied to our government's economic recovery plan. He tells me to place my resources in him. Is he any different today than he was in the past? We say, well, but there are a lot of people out of work. But is God out of work? Certainly not. Well, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Well, 
the important thing is that he knows what's going to happen in the future. The hard part is deciding whether we're going to trust him. The disciples had to decide that as well. Were they willing to trust the Lord who fed the 5,000 to do the same for the 4,000? Now, sometimes it's better for us if, if our problems are overwhelming, so overwhelming that we have to pray about them. Because when we begin to pray, we place ourselves in a place that God can use us. I'm glad that God doesn't tell us the future. I don't think we could handle it. But as we turn things over to him along the way, he does far more than any of us could have ever planned. The fourth essential of ministry is willingness to minister where the need is. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and he gave thanks, and he broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. First of all, the need has to be recognized. The multitude that sat listening to Jesus was primarily Gentile. In the eyes of the Jews, and that is who made up the disciples, in the eyes of the Jews, these were not God's people. They were outcast. They were unreachable. Jesus wanted to change the way they viewed those people. The need had to be recognized. The resources had to be inventoried. Just because we're attempting to do something for God doesn't mean that we have to go into it blind. Jesus first tells the disciples, see what you have to meet this need. After that is done, the people are prepared. The needs of the people were not met in some haphazard way. In spite of what we sometimes see in the churches of our day, the Lord was always very organized in carrying out his ministry. The need was identified. The people were arranged and organized for efficiency in receiving the provision. Now, the fifth and final essential of ministry is to witness the Lord's power and provision. And so they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now, those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. As Jesus did the first time, Jesus took the small amount of food that was available, and he thanked God for it. He then broke it and gave it to the disciples to pass out to the crowd. And just as he did the first time, the loaves and the fish multiplied as he broke them. The miracle took place in the hands of the Lord Jesus. And when the meal was finished, when everyone had, had all that they wanted, everyone was filled, according to verse 37. The disciples collected the leftovers, in the first miracle, they collected 12 baskets full. In this miracle, they collected seven baskets full. Now, the baskets that, that is referred to in the feeding of the 5,000 was a small basket. It was a basket that would hold uh, the amount sufficient for one person for one meal. It was a lunch basket. The word basket here is a different word altogether. It refers to a basket large enough to hold a man. 
You say, well, how do you know that it's a basket large enough to hold a man? Because it is the same word used in Acts chapter 9 and verse 25 to describe the basket in which they placed the apostle Paul and let him down over the wall of the city in order that he might make a hasty escape from Damascus. The 4,000 that Jesus fed counted only men. The women and children are added. The crowd, if we add them all together, probably some twelve to 15,000 people. And the amount of food that was left over was enormous. It could have possibly been several hundred pounds of food. Now, the Bible doesn't tell, tell us the specific reactions of all the people who were healed. But Matthew does tell us the general response of the crowd in verse 31. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and the maimed made whole and the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. The thing that so wonderfully proves the success of the ministry of the Lord in this area was that they glorified the God of Israel. Now let me just make a couple of applications in closing this morning. First of all, Jesus wants the world to know that he is the source of supply for all our needs. He's teaching his disciples and through them he is teaching us today that we can trust him. Trust him instead of relying on our human resources or the lack thereof. Secondly, Jesus wants us to know that his supply always meets and exceeds our need. In this miracle, Christ supplied the resources until there was enough to feed the multitude, but not just enough, more than enough. The seven large baskets of leftovers collected are a reminder to the disciples and to us of the superabundance of Christ's ability to satisfy our needs. And here's something that you might think about because, <clears throat> because he can create whatever he wishes, whatever the Lord gives you never diminishes anything that he has. Say that one more time. Whatever the Lord gives you never diminishes what he has. Jesus does not need us, but he is willing to use us if we make ourselves available. Let me try to explain that. <clears throat> I think I can explain it to all of those of you who are parents. Have you ever allowed your child to help you do something? Maybe it's baking cake or doing a home repair. You really didn't need their help. Honestly, they weren't much help. But you let them help because you wanted them involved. Jesus really didn't need the disciples to be waiters delivering the food he created. But he used them because he wanted them to be involved he doesn't need us, 
but he's willing to use us if we're willing to make ourselves available to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that never changes, for the challenges that it gives to us in our lives. It may be that there's someone here this morning that has never first surrendered themselves to you. They don't have the assurance that if they died today, they'd spend eternity with you in heaven. I pray that you'd help them to understand that it's a very simple process by which they can establish a relationship with your son. That they just need to admit that they are sinners. That that sin stands between them and you. That someone is going to have to pay the penalty for that sin. But that your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, lived a sin-free life in order that he might be our substitute. He went to the cross and he paid for the penalty of our sins. And all we have to do is accept that free gift of salvation. There's one here, Lord, that doesn't know you in that way. I pray that you just speak to their hearts. For those of us who know we are saved, we need to be challenged to keep on working, to keep on being a part of the ministry that you're doing in this world. Not because you need us, but because you're willing to use us if we make ourselves available. Father, thank you for the day that you've given us another day of life, another opportunity to serve you. And we're going to thank you in advance for what we're going to receive in this service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.